want to grab a Bible, if you need a Bible, there's one hopefully on the seat in front of you. And uh, turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I think that's on page 1014 if you're using that pew Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning and all that it represents. We thank You that we not only get to gather on Easter Sunday morning, but we can gather every week together as Your people because of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We gather in His name. And we come here, Father, to worship Him. To hear from You through Your Word and by Your Spirit be pointed to Jesus that we might know Him more and believe Him more as as the text that Rowena just, just read to us says, blessed are those who, though not seeing, believe. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. His death and resurrection was well before any of our eyes could have laid themselves on it. It was before video or TV. There was no recording of it for us to see. We have Your Word. We have the testimony of the apostles and Your disciples. And Father, we are convinced that that testimony is true. We believe this morning. Yet help our unbelief. Help us to believe more. Help us to believe anew. Help us to be convinced that not only is Jesus risen from the dead, but in Him so are we. That His death and resurrection accomplished something for us. It brought new life to us. And we desire, Lord, to live in that new life. So this morning, raise us up in Him for Your glory and for our good. Speak to us through Your Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just prayed about God working in us, changing us. I I guess I have to ask the question, do you believe people can change? Do you believe that? Sometimes it's hard to believe. Sometimes we look at the world around us. We see things on the news. We hear stories. We Even our own lives or those around us, we, we just witness the things that make us question the power of change. Can people change? I read an article this week that really disturbed me. It's, it was talking about some radicalized militants who killed four uh, local Bible translators in the Middle East, injured several others in, in a raid on their translation office. These invaders shot and destroyed all the equipment in the office. They burned all the books and the other translation materials in the office. But worse, two of the workers were killed by gunshot wound. The other two workers were killed by... They, they laid on top of the chief translator saving his life, but dying themselves by being bludgeoned uh, with the spent weapons of the invaders. They ran out of bullets, so they just beat them to death. That kind of thing is happening more and more. It's happening in and near a lot of ISIS-held territory, Boko Haram. You probably read some tragic news coming out of Nigeria this week about more people being killed. Is it possible that radical militants like these murderers can change? 
Also been doing a lot of reading lately, I mean a lot of reading, about some of the systemic violence and injustice in our own city. There's a lot of blame to go around. You've got, on the one hand, gangbangers feeling trapped by poverty and lack of opportunity, so bent on hopelessness, territorialism, and greed, the devaluing of human life, they're killing one another. And they're ruining whole communities. And at the same time, there's such systemic racism and government corruption and abuse of police power and a complete lack of accountability that not only perpetuates the problem, but exasperates it. So we look at systemic problems like that and we think, can any of the people involved in this tragic equation, could, could they really change? After all, systems don't change unless people change, right? How about you? Just bring it a little closer to home. Are you discouraged by your own life? Maybe discouraged by some of the things that you're not proud of. Maybe there's, maybe there's guilt that you're carrying around. Your own failings, your own hurts, your own addictions, your own abuses. Do you ever wonder if you can really change? Change is a powerful word. What does it have to do with Easter? Well, I believe it has everything to do with Easter because Easter is about resurrection. Easter is about resurrection. And Jesus rose from the dead and He rose to bring about change. The Bible says so. And we're going to see it this morning. But one more question. I, I did a lot of reading this week. I read about another guy. A guy who grew up around the fishing docks. Had a bit of a temper. Apparently he got so angry with a law officer who was trying to arrest his friend that he took out a sword and cut the guy's ear off. I know that sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> it is kind of crazy. But the craziest part was that within just a mere hours of this happening, he ran away from the friend that he defended after the arrest, denied ever knowing him, and cursed up a storm when others said, aren't you his friend? And he denied it. Talk about fair weather. Talk about a flip-flopper, right? His friend eventually wanted to forgive him, but could an unpredictable, volatile guy like that ever change? Well, we're about to find out because that man was the Apostle Peter. And he wrote the verse we're looking at this morning, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. And he wrote about the power of the resurrection to change people. That's what this verse represents. If you haven't gotten there yet, again, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Let's read it together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Peter starts off this great sentence, this great paragraph with these words, blessed be, which means praise God. It's a, it's an expression of thanksgiving. He's saying, thank you, God. Thanks be to God that he has done this. And he gives reasons. What are the reasons for praising and thanking God that Peter gives us in this one verse? I've, I've been studying it all week. One theme has really stood out to me. It's the theme of change or transformation. I think that's what he's saying. Praise be to God because God changes things. And we're going to look at the words that he writes here. Peter's experience that God has affected and guaranteed transformation in our lives through His Son. And these key words that we're going to look at of this verse will show us just how He has changed everything through the resurrection. Through Jesus. So let's start with our first point, and that's this. We'll throw a slide up for you. It's that he changes our condition. Alright? That's the first reason why Peter gives thanks. God changes our condition through the resurrection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His, get these two words, His great mercy. His mercy. Mercy is a word in Greek. It's, it's ilios. It means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable or the afflicted. Miserable. Afflicted. It's kindness and goodwill towards people in that condition. And it's, it, the idea is, is that it's joined with a desire to help them. Okay? So this word not only tells us something about God, that He's kind and compassionate, He's merciful, it tells us something about ourselves. That apart from His mercy, we are miserable and afflicted. You say, well, how? Well, think about this. Somewhere, in the analysis of radicalized militants and gangbangers and, and corrupt politicians and cops and the Apostle Peter, somewhere in that analysis of them, you, you find yourself. Right? You find yourself. Let me, let me just put it bluntly. We're all sinners. Can you admit that? I mean, if, if you were standing before God this morning, would you be able to confidently stand in your own merit and say, God, you'll find no fault in me? No, right? And if you're not sure, you want to take my no for an answer, you can ask God. He's already told us. We've been studying the book of Romans lately around here. Romans 3, you can throw that up on the slide, says this. As it is written, this is God's pronouncement of our condition, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There's no one who does good, not even one. That's pretty convincing language. A little bit further on in that chapter, we're told that all have sinned and therefore fallen short of God's glory. And later in the book of Romans, we're told that the wages of sin is death. That's misery and affliction. We're all worthy of that. Meaning what? Meaning we need mercy. We need the mercy of God. So let's look at how God has shown us mercy. Let's define what that mercy really looks like. Let me put up Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, 
Even when we were dead in our transgressions, that's another big word for sin. When we were dead in our sin, He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Grace is, is undeserved favor, right? Titus 3, 5, and 6, I'll put that up here too. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His, here's the word again, His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is telling us that, that, that God in His Son changes our condition. We were spiritually dead before Christ. We were deserving of hell. Yet, in Christ, He has made us alive and adopted us as sons and daughters fit for heaven. That's all a work of His mercy because we didn't deserve it. We were miserable and afflicted, yet He has restored and renewed us. Our condition was one of despair. Now it's hope. Now it's hope. Eternal hope. Why? Because I love what Ephesians 2 said. We, we, I, I won't put it back up, but, but let, me, let me read it again. God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Why? Because He loves us. That's why mercy. That's why His mercy. Even though we sin against Him and we're helpless not to, you cannot change yourself. But God in His love for you says, I'll change you. And He shows mercy and compassion. Isn't it wonderful to have our condition transformed in Jesus Christ? It's good to, to get up in the morning and know I am not what I was. If, if I know what I was, miserable and afflicted, to know that in the, the resurrected Jesus Christ, that's not who I am anymore. That's the message of the cross and resurrection. He died to save us from sin and death and to open up the gates of heaven to us for eternal life. Now we could stop there. You could go and eat your Easter hams right now and that would probably be enough to satisfy you. Like, like That's what Jesus came to do. His death and resurrection changes your condition. You are no longer miserable. You in Christ can now be hopeful. You can have mercy. We could stop there. And a lot of people do stop there. They say, hey, great, I'm saved from hell. But God doesn't stop there. He says, no, there's more. There's more that the cross and resurrection accomplishes for you. And Peter wants to tell us what that more is. He tells us more amazing truths about God's blessings for us in Jesus. He doesn't long to just transform your condition in the afterlife, like you're now ready, fit for heaven. He also wants to change our lives right now. Today, here on earth. So He's not only transformed our condition, number two, He's also transformed our nature. He changes our nature. Look again at the verse. You still have First Peter 1 in front of you? Praise God, He says, right? According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be, keywords here, born again. Born again. He's changed our nature in making us born again. Now I know that if there's ever two words that have been entirely ruined by pop culture, this phrase would have to be at the top of the list, right? 
born again. It sounds weird. It sounds hokey. It gets used and abused in ways that make us sort of not want to identify with it. It sounds sort of televangelist, right? But, but that's a shame because the idea that this presents us with is one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture. To be born again. Literally, anagenao in the Greek means to produce again or to be, I love this, to be recreated. That's what, that's what Jesus does. That's what His death and resurrection does. It recreates us when we by faith trust in the reality of those two great facts. And being recreated is absolutely necessary for those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, right? We gotta, you're, you're dead in those. You gotta be made new and you gotta be born again in a new way. If we're sinful by nature, you need a new nature. And that's exactly what God has done for us in causing us to be born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'll put it up on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. What was is gone. Your old nature, gone. It's passed away. Behold, what's new has now come. In other words, to be born again is to get a do-over. It's a do-over. It's a fresh start. It's, it, you're, 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 you're born once into this earthly life, right? You're born again into what? The same earthly life. We're not saved and immediately taken up to heaven. Our newness of life is now. Here in this life. We're not just promised eternal life in Jesus. In other words, we're also promised new life as well. Your eternal life, another way you could say it is, starts the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, you're already living eternal life. That's pretty exciting. You don't have to wait for heaven to be transformed into a new life. Another way you could define born again, again in the, in the Greek, anagoneo, is this idea of metamorphosis. It's to have your mind changed in such a way that you live a new life, one that's conformed to the will of God. And I love the word metamorphosis because it, it, it brings about a beautiful picture. I, I don't know if you're like me, but what, every time I hear metamorphosis, I think back to grade school science. And the first time I ever heard the word metamorphosis was, was in watching a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. Right? And that's such a great picture. It's, it's just like that picture. Our new life in Christ changes us as radically as the caterpillar who changes from crawling on the ground and sucking dirt to the butterfly who flies to the trees. Caterpillar doesn't have to die to fly, does it? Doesn't have to die to fly. His entire nature is transformed while remaining on earth. And in the same way, that's what Peter's saying about us. We have been born anew if you're in Christ. Your nature changes here. How? Well, again, we've been studying Romans, so if you've been with us, here's what we've been reading. Our old self died with Jesus on the cross. Meaning that the enslaving power of sin was stripped of its gripping hold over us in the death of Jesus on our behalf. 
That's what your old nature represented. You, as dead in your trespasses and sin, means that you were gripped by the enslaving power of sin. And we're told in the Scripture that when Jesus died by our faith in His death, your old self was nailed there with Him. That enslaving power was put to death in Jesus. As Jesus promised that when He departed, He would also send to us then a Helper. The Holy Spirit. So not only is our old self crucified with Him, but His Spirit indwells us and guides us away from sin and into truth and to holiness. That's how real change happens in the life of the believer in Christ. We're, we're not just on our own to sort of act anew, but Jesus has actually put to death our old self and deposited Himself in us to, 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 to lead us in living. There's power in you. There's resurrection power in you when you're in Christ. And I've seen radical change in people's lives by the deposit of the Holy Spirit and the putting to death of their old self. I've seen addicts walk away from their addictions forever. Amen. I've seen people consumed by, 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 by the greed and, and the lust for power. Walk away from that and say, I was bought with a price not to live for me, but to live for others and to return to, to father and mother their children well. And to give their vocations a, a new sense of direction to say, I want to live my life for the glory of God and no longer for the glory of me. I've seen that happen overnight with people. I've seen people who've been confused about their identity. I've been seeing people who've been steeped in sexual sin transformed. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's gradual. But God promises transformation and He delivers that by the deposit of His Spirit in us by changing us, crucifying our old selves with Him on the cross and making us new. He promises it and He delivers. That's radical, real change. And Peter says that's what the resurrection accomplishes. You're born again through the resurrection. So in Christ, the Father has transformed our condition. He's transformed our nature. And thirdly, He changes our direction. Look back at the verse. Praise be to God. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again into a living hope. A living hope. Now, hope is kind of an ethereal concept, right? Hope is, is often attached to something that seems sort of far off, far away, maybe something that's, that's going to come a long time from now. But that's not the kind of hope that Peter's talking about. He's not talking about some ethereal wish list hope. He's talking about the kind of hope that the author of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 11. I'll put it on the screen. When he says this, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see the word assurance and conviction? Those aren't ethereal concepts. They're concrete. They're, they're, they're not hope for, wish for items. They're I know it to be true kinds of statements, right? And Peter says that's the kind of hope 
that we have. It is a living hope. A living hope. In other words, he's taking the idea of hope out of the ethereal and he's making it very real and practical, a part of our new life in Christ, saying it's, it's something that's active, your hope. It's alive. And a living thing is a growing thing, right? You probably also learned that in elementary school science classes. Living things grow. They mature. And that's the kind of hope that we have. It's a growing, maturing hope. It's an active hope that grows stronger and bigger with time. As we walk further along with Jesus in this new resurrected life, we step ever closer to heaven. Our, our confidence and our certainty of our hope grows. It's not just a hope to look forward to, but a hope to live in now, to be encouraged by daily as we walk in newness of life. You know, I think about the kind of hope that that resurrection power brings to the life of a believer, and it really is countercultural. It really is transformative hope because I look around and I see the culture that we live in—a culture that seems to to fear, probably more than anything, uh, aging. We fear aging because we're we're afraid of what's at the end of the tunnel, right? What's at the end? We die. You say, well, well, yeah, how do, how do we, how do we sort of quantify how afraid we are of, of aging? Have you ever looked at statistics on how much money we spend on anti-aging products in this country? It is in the billions of dollars annually. Billions! Why? Because we're afraid. Why? Because we don't have a lot of hope. Peter says, no, that's not true for the believer. That's not true at all. We no longer have to hope in vain for sort of getting the best life we can attain for ourselves before the clock strikes midnight and the pumpkin bursts. No, He's changed our direction so that we as believers now have something to live for that grows. The believer's hope is sure and certain and real as opposed to being empty and deceptive and false like the hope that the world offers. And that's a big part of what Peter means when he says we've been born into a living hope. It's a whole new perspective on life because of the fact of the resurrection. Death doesn't have the final word because of the resurrection. I think the main and most important reason for our living hope is because our hope is secured by the One who is living right it's secured by jesus we have a living lord that tomb is empty blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead jesus is alive And therefore, fourthly, He guarantees our change. Because Jesus is alive, our change is guaranteed. Here's where all the blessings of this verse tie together. The resurrection is the guarantee of our transformation in Jesus Christ. If there was no resurrection, we would be, as Paul says, the most pitied people on the planet. Right? If there was no resurrection, then all the Father's mercy and His kindness was for nothing because it would have been powerless to actually help you. 
If there's no resurrection, there could be no transformation of our nature because Jesus wouldn't have been able to prove that He could conquer the old nature. And without a resurrection, we'd have no hope because our hope would have died with Jesus. But, I love the way Peter phrases this. He says again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, has... That's a past tense word. It is a, it is a perfect word. It is completed. It has present results, but it's something that's already happened. He has caused us to be born again. It's happened to a living hope through the resurrection. The resurrection is the guarantee of our transformation. It's the proof that Jesus is who He says He is. He says, I'm the Son of God. I am God come in the flesh to dwell with you, the righteous, sinless One and Savior who has the power to overcome sin and death to set you free in life and hope and belonging with the Father and with one another. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning. The tomb is empty. Jesus guarantees the transformation that He talks about. That's what we're here to celebrate. Everything rests. Everything rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's without a doubt the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity. Bar none. Everything rests on the resurrection. And so it's no wonder that Peter starts with this verse by praising God. Blessed be the Father. He has transformed our condition. He has transformed our nature. He has transformed our direction. And He's guaranteed it through the resurrection. And only He could do this. Only He could do that. And that's why He alone is worthy of all of our praise. Let me go back to this question I asked at the beginning. Is there hope for change for sinners like you and me? Is there hope for for actual change. In fact, yes, there is. Absolutely, positively, yes, there is. How do I know? That's true for you. Because God promises that it's true for all who put their faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to apply to them. I don't know your heart this morning. But I read this book and I see it's filled with a lot of flawed people. Every one of them, except Jesus, flawed. And a sto- the stories that are written in here about those who have, who have by God's mercy found living hope in Him are, are, are it's entirely stories of transformation. People who are not what they used to be but have now been made new by a living hope through a resurrected Savior. And I know my heart. You know your heart. I know my heart. And I I can say with confidence, and you should be able to say with confidence, I'm the worst sinner I know. Because I know my heart better than anybody else's. And I know my sin like I know no one else's. I'm the worst one I know. But I can say with great confidence this morning, you can accept the love of God for a sinner like you and be transformed by His mercy to cover your sin and make you new. Because I've, I've tasted it. 
And it's true. God is good. Jesus is Lord and He saves sinners like me and like you. He died to accomplish this. Our sin was placed on His back when He cried out on that cross on Friday night, it is finished. He meant every sin that He died for was paid for. He didn't say it's almost done. He didn't say, I, I, I think I did a good enough job. He said it's finished. He died to pay every debt. And He rose again to prove that His death counted. That He could conquer it. Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. And that's our hope and our confidence this morning. Praise God. Can I just invite you, if you're visiting with us this morning, if maybe you know church isn't a normal part of your routine, let me just invite you. This is what we do every Sunday morning. We come to this book and we, and we, we come as humbled people. <laughs> humbled people. Far from perfect. Knowing that there's a, there's a perfect Savior who died for sinners like us and gives hope, living hope, transforms lives like ours, that we might live no longer for ourselves, but for Him. We come humbly, but we come expectantly knowing that we, we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And I want to just invite you to come back and, and to sit under this Word with us, to walk with us as we walk with Him and believe that He alone has the power to transform. He can change you. He's changed many for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son. We thank You for His death on Friday and all that it accomplished. We thank You that Your wrath was poured out on Him. That, that Your righteous wrath for sin was, was exhausted in Him. That it fell on Him rather than on us. That He willingly went to that cross to be our substitute. And that it was satisfied. That, that He said it is finished. That it was, it was meant. And we thank You for this morning. We thank You for that morning 2,000 or so years ago when the disciples came to the tomb. This tomb that was, that was sealed up with a stone and, and had a, a, a whole guard of Roman soldiers around it. Impenetrable. And yet finding that those Roman soldiers had, had fallen and scattered like dead men and that stone was gone and Jesus wasn't there. That what He said was true. He said, you destroy this temple and three days later I'll raise it up. That I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through Me. And that I am the Lamb, the true Lamb of God. And a new covenant I give to you that my broken body and my shed blood will once and for all satisfy the guilt offerings that God requires for sin. Thank you that all of those things are true. And thank you that we can place our faith in Him today. No matter where we've been or what we've done, Lord, help us to just repent of our sin and trust you for cleansing and new life. And may You do a great work in us and through us for Your glory. God, I praise You that You are the God who changes lives. You are good. And You are worthy of our worship. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.